Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I hope you had a wonderful week. And a special thanks to all of you that come from great distances. I spoke to a number of people last week, and I just wanted to say, wow, I really appreciate the sacrifice and your time. You are incredibly valuable, and thank you for the effort to get up and drive and, and get over here, especially those on Saturday night. That is pure torture. I mean, that is a bigger sacrifice than Sunday morning, right? Because nobody's up yet. But uh, Saturday night, everybody in God's kingdom is on 281 or 1604. We ought to put a church, I guess, right in the middle of 1604, drive through, get a prayer or something. I don't know. What else can we do? You doing okay? Well, we're going to conclude today our series on the making of a champion. And we looked last week, and if you weren't here, get that CD, How God Tests or Produces a Champion. And you'd think so. The number one test God gave was fear. And when Gideon showed up with 32,000 men against 180,000 of the enemy, God said, you've got too many. So tell everybody that's afraid to transfer to a very safe, boring church. And 22,000 transferred their membership. Now, that'll depress you. You know, if you're a leader, now he's down to 10,000 people. And then God tells him, well, you've still got too many. And Gideon's thinking, Lord, you're on drugs. What are you talking about? There's 180, almost 200,000 people out there as the enemy. And God tested them again with discipline. How much discipline you got? So, sadly, everybody but 300 also went home. And with 300, God showed it's not by might, not by power, not by your GED test or your uh, task scores or uh, the number of degrees you get or how talented you are. God doesn't need a lot of good looks, a lot of talent, or a big crowd. He just does big, great things with ordinary people who have confidence in Him and simply trust Him. And then He uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things, and that means, hey, we all get a shot. We really all get a shot. You don't have to be super cute or super talented when God gets in your life to help you accomplish a dream or a purpose. So let's look at part two as we close it out today. And how does God encourage people who He's called, who He's given a dream to? How does He keep you going? Because the only problem with life is it's every single day, right? It just is. So I want you to see God as an encourager today. Judges chapter 6. Gideon's been called by God. He's been given affirmation of his dream. God called him a mighty man of valor. And when God said that, remember where Gideon was? Hiding in a wine press. He wasn't doing anything mighty. But God knew the desire to be was inside of him. And so, there's more to you than meets the eye. It may be clouded by fear or a busy schedule or indulgence of your flesh, but inside of you is a bigger you than you ever imagined. And God, when He speaks to us, doesn't speak to us about where we are, but where we're going to be with Him. So when He gives you a word, it's like, oh, you're thinking, oh my goodness, could this even be possible? So Gideon blows a trumpet. A group of men start following him. He goes out and he knocks down his father's idols. He comes back and something inside causes Gideon to waver or hesitate. 
I wonder if you've ever blown your trumpet and then wavered. It's kind of like you're giving in the offering and you hear the Holy Spirit say an amount bigger than you're comfortable with. And by faith, you grit your teeth and you say, well, bless God, I'll do it anyway. And then an hour later after church, you're wondering and wavering, Lord, what have I done? Yeah. Well, I think something like that's happened here because in Judges 6, verse 36, it said, And Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said. Now, what did Gideon just say? He's saying, If you, Lord, are going to do what you already said you're going to do. And there's trouble right there, but that's just like all of us. We've got these incredible promises from God, but in a moment of weakness, we waver. And we go to God and say, God, if you're really going to do what you said you're going to do. And then over in chapter 7, Gideon goes into battle based on some fleeces we'll look at that he put out before the Lord to confirm that God was with him, and he wins a great victory. Now, we often think of God as a judge or Savior or Father, but this morning I want you to consider Him an encourager. To encourage means to put courage in, to put valor in. God is an encourager. You know, life is hard, and along the way, every one of us needs some encouragement. Encouragement is that which gives you ground to hope for success. Now, why was Israel 40 years in the desert when it was only a 11-week, 11-day march into Canaan? Well, obviously, none of the men were willing to ask for directions. You know, an animal, an animal confused as to direction will stop. Oh, but not a man. We just go faster. We want to find out quick as possible how wrong we are. You ever been going somewhere, think you're lost, and then you see a road sign and, whoa, there's a feeling of relief. Oh, I've done that. Anybody else ever done that? Oh, yeah, it's okay. Okay, we're all right. You think that, right? You're still not where you're going, but now you know, okay, I'm still on the right road. So signs are for encouragement, and that's why they're out there. And the highway department doesn't put them every thousand miles, they put them every mile. Mile markers, we call them, on interstate highway. Anybody ever remember the days of CB radios? Hey, good buddy, we got any bears over your shoulder back there? Yeah, we had a smoky rolling at uh, mile marker 103, southbound. Uh, Roger, good buddy, much obliged. Remember that? And we all—no, you don't remember it. You were still sperm. You didn't know. I—I I knew. I was driving. My wife hadn't even come out yet, so she didn't know. But I remember CB radio. I had radar detectors, CB. I had everything but a NASA missile in the car. And God one day said, why don't you just drive the speed limit? It'd just be a lot cheaper. And, and, and I did. Well, sometimes I did. So, if you're going a long trip, you need some encouragement along the way that allows you the faith to continue. In Mark 16, verse 20, it says, the Lord worked with the disciples and confirmed His Word with signs. He encouraged the disciples that He was with them in their evangelization of the world with some signs that confirmed He was working with them, that He was present. Now, I wouldn't want to live a life that had no sign as a believer, but you don't live by signs. I'm a spirit-filled charismatic, but some of them are goofy as a $3 bill. 
You don't need a sign every day, but you do need a sign for encouragement to keep you going forward during seasons of time when it looks like maybe God isn't with me. Things are tough. And the Greek word for confirming in Mark 16, 20 that I just read is stability. It means to reestablish. Uh, in an aircraft, when it's in an awkward m- movement, they say, we want to reestablish and stabilize the aircraft. We want to get it stable. So when Jesus sent the disciples out, you can bet they had some bad days. They had some discouragement that made them wonder, I wonder if the Lord really is still with us. And how did the Lord confirm He was with them? He gave them signs. So God knows that at least as much as the highway department, that we need encouragement in order to continue our journey. Remember, the sign doesn't solve the problem. It just encourages you're okay in the problem. God's with me, so it gives me the motivation to keep moving. Keep moving. I had some wonderful opportunities in dark times when you're just frustrated and depressed, and God might do something through someone to you personally, and whoa, it'll jack you up. Wow, I didn't expect that. And all of a sudden, it's like God saying, Hey, I just want you to know I still have favor on you. I still love you. Keep moving. I don't care how it looks, keep moving. That was just a little sign of some favor. It could be a number of things. It could be any number of things. But I tell you what, it'll, it'll pump you up like a B12 shot. It'll make you feel like, yeah, this is good. Didn't solve the problem yet, but it lets you know God's with you in that problem. So some of you need to hear this morning that God is a God of encouragement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it said, Jesus Christ will confirm you till the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord. So now Gideon is putting out a fleece. He's asking God for a sign to make sure that the Lord was still with him, and we all need to know that. Gideon is a mess. He's sign crazy. He needs fire out of the rock. We didn't read that one yet. To know God has accepted his sacrifice. Pretty, pretty, pretty big one. Now he wants another sign. So he gets a fleece, and that's simply a a wool throw rug taken off a sheep. And so Gideon says to the Lord, Lord, tonight when I go to bed, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God did. And then Gideon wants another sign, just the opposite. Lord, make the fleece dry and all the ground wet, and God does it. So we think of a fleece as some device we lay before the Lord asking Him for spiritual confirmation of some course of action of some intention that we have of taking. So Gideon is simply asking God for a sign. Show me, Lord, that I'm different than the circumstances I'm facing in my life. And I'm amazed at God's grace and God's patience with this guy. Now, if you and I were God, we'd have said, Gideon, I told you already, you're a mighty man of valor and sent an angel to you. I gave you fire out of the rock, dude. Now you want another sign. Okay, I'll put water on your fleece. Okay, now I'll make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Now, if I'm God, I'm thinking, I'm going to get me another church member. (laughs) This is getting ridiculous. But you can almost feel God's patience and grace as he deals with this guy. Now, there's a school of thought that puts Gideon down for needing a fleece. And I'll 
clear that up in a few moments, but their basic argument is you don't need to pray a prayer with an if in it. If you do, it's not a faith prayer. But Gideon says, Lord, if you will do what you said you would do. So Gideon says if, and he's asking for all these confirmation when he's already got an angel that's given him a clear word. But there's two reasons I think what Gideon did was right. First, God does not rebuke Gideon anywhere for doing it. God knew you and I would be reading this thousands of years later for encouragement. Second, when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, Gideon is right there and listed. I'd say that's a pretty good resume. And let's also remember this. Gideon didn't have the tools you and I have. He didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He didn't have God's Word. He didn't, there was so much he didn't have. He had no history. And so God, knowing that, gives him a lot more than we would consider in our culture today with what we've been given normal. The more God gives you, the less of a sign you need, right? Well, I'm going to pray if I should or should not commit adultery. Oh, my Lord. Are you kidding me? I mean, some people are nuts, just nuts. I mean, when, when Scripture's clear, you don't even need to pray. <laughs> I, you know, one of the reasons I was always hesitant about being Spirit-filled was I thought I had to surrender my brain. I really did because I meet so many, well, nice people. I heard my wife cough, and I knew that was a sign, don't go any further. That was a sign. But it was not encouragement, it was a warning. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you don't know diddly squat. You, the Bible says when they chose the deacons, it said, find seven men full of the Holy Spirit and, that's a conjunction, wisdom. Everybody's spirit feels not smart. Okay? So be careful who you hang out with, all right? Just be sure they didn't give up their brain. God doesn't ask you to give up your brain to be Spirit-filled or be led by the Spirit or anointed by the Spirit. Okay. I've, that's my little sermon. Sorry. All right? So God knows Gideon's frame. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what we need for encouragement because He made you. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. God made you. He knows exactly what it needs to get your attention, okay? And when He gives us a big dream, He knows we shake and tremble and wonder, oh, Lord, is this possible? Are you going to be with me in this? And so when we say, Lord, show me some sign of confirmation, I'm on the right track, some encouragement, you're still with me, I'm telling you, God will honor that. Now, that encourages me. Let, let me say to parents, your children also need lots of encouragement. Kids today don't get nearly enough encouragement. They get criticized. They get no. When a teacher marks their paper, if it's wrong, they make a huge, big red mark, and they only get a little tick if it's correct. And so, they need regular encouragement. Give your kids more encouragement than life gives them disappointment. That will not hurt your child at all, right? 
let them know you're with them. And some of you adults, you need lots of encouragement too. And when people come to church on Sunday morning, we're not here to tear anybody down. We're here to build people up to let you know in spite of how nasty you may look or seem or feel, God still loves you and God wants to encourage you just like you do your own kids. So if it's good enough for our children, God says, that's good enough for you. In Judges 7, verse 34, Gideon runs out, blows the trumpet, let's go to war. Two verses later, he's begging God to wet a fleece. So God, the same God who gives the dream, the same God who tests the dream, is the same God who makes the dream come true. And he's also the God who will confirm the dream. And he'll confirm your dream as you go along life's highway. He will encourage you with regular small interventions. I'm sitting on a runway. It's midnight. It's in Columbia, South Carolina. I've got both 400 horsepower engines running. My wife is pregnant in the back seat with the other child. Uh, It's summer. We're going back to Savannah, Georgia. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. No fun, a little dumb, and quite mental. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit gives words of knowledge or, or, or any such thing. You know, I know He'll save you, take you to heaven, blah, blah, blah. So that was sort of the group that uh, I was raised in. And I always prayed before flying anywhere and taking off. Just a brief prayer, Lord, thank you for a safe flight tonight. So I got my instrument clearance, checked out the engines, did my warm-up, did all my checks, taxied to the end of the runway, and said, uh, Tower 817, Mike Alpha, uh, ready for takeoff. And then he gave me a clearance. And then I did what I always do, Lord, thank you for a safe flight tonight. And in a split second, right across my eyes, in my mind, boom, went rudder lock. Rudder lock. I'd never had that happen in my whole life. Rudder lock, just like that. And all of a sudden, I paused. And I got whiter than a cracker, and I'm white already, but I got really white. And there was no other flights. It was uh, midnight, and I said, Tower, I need to shut the engines down for just a second. I need to go clean myself up because I just realized I'm about to kill us. Somebody had given me a rudder lock that day. It wasn't on my checklist. I completely forgot it, and it held the vertical stabilizer from moving And so after liftoff, within 20 seconds or more, I would have killed us. And God intervened in my unbelieving life and said to me a word of knowledge, boom, just right across. I think this is so cool for a couple. First, God's bigger than even your unbelief. And if God has a further purpose for your life, He can just overrule you and speak anyway. Whether you're on cocaine, He can still speak to you. Right. I wasn't, by the way, but he spoke to me. And you know what? I never forgot that moment to let him know my life is under guidance by God because it would have been so easy to obliterate me. I hadn't done anything yet, hadn't become anything yet, and didn't know if I ever would, but it, it encouraged me. God was with me and knew I was a little bit ignorant, needed a little more information to smarten up, but given truth, I'd come around and he preserved my life. How many of you know that encouraged me? Encouraged my wife too. She said, we're not going to die. That's good. That'll encourage anybody. Now that was just one. They're not always that dramatic, but that was one moment of encouragement. So God never intended 
for any of us to live life by fleeces. Most of life is governed by principles in God's Word that are very clear in Scripture. I don't need a fleece to forgive somebody. I have a clear command. I don't need a fleece to discern I should get a job and support my family. If you don't work, you don't eat, Scripture says clearly. It's not talking about somebody who's handicapped or unable to work. It's talking about lazy people who won't work. You don't need a fleece to discover or discern whether you're going to abandon your family. Now, those are clear scriptures. I don't need prayer, and I don't need a fleece. I just need to obey. Now, there's a couple of areas it's good to ask for a fleece. In the big things of life, second, in the secret will of God. Look at the big things of life. I don't need a fleece to decide where to eat lunch, what to wear today. But big things like who to marry. How many of you think that's a pretty big choice, right? Where to go to college? Should I leave the business world and go into the ministry? Should I change jobs? Should I sign for this loan to buy this house? Those are big, big choices. And so I need some help, some kind of confirmation to encourage me this is right. And girls, if you ever feel that little inner voice of the Holy Spirit giving you an uncomfortable feeling about somebody that maybe you're dating, and don't violate that. That is the Holy Spirit that's not being peace to your heart. That's one of the ways God guides. And if you look in the bookstore at our book, Flying Higher, I'll give you seven or eight ways God guides us in life. There's that. The Holy Spirit in you will, will make you not feel comfortable about somebody. Or, well, he's abusive now. He'll probably be abusive later. Well, he won't work now. If I get married, is he going to work? Well, he won't quit drinking and getting drunk now. If I marry him, will he get better? Here's my answer. Nope. So don't go any further. Get you a new boy. You find a new horse. Cut them out of that herd and then say, we, I'm not taking this dude home. If you ever violated that and wished you hadn't, sure. I bet all of us have. Hiring somebody. Uh, anytime I've learned now, when my wife says, I don't feel good about that person, I don't argue anymore because that's like radar. It's, sometimes the Holy Spirit helps you when you don't have evidence. So you don't judge, you just say, no, I'm not going to do the deal. No, I don't feel good about it. That's, it might be later, but not right now. That's, that's being led by the Spirit also, right? He, he, he speaks to your heart. I was reading an article about United Airlines, a 747, several years ago. I think I used it and gave you a picture years ago of the, of the door. The cargo door blew off after it took off from Hawaii, and people were sucked out and they had to turn around and land, and then Boeing made modifications to that door. But one of the men, a Christian businessman, was sitting near that door that would soon blow away, and he said, I had the strangest feeling. Something said to me, move. The plane was not full. I ignored it, and it happened again. Move. That's what he just felt. He said, strange. So, I don't know. I just got up, moved across the aisle. He said within seconds, the door blew open, the fuselage had a hole in it, and if I'd have been sitting there, my seat was gone, I'd be dead. Just a simple little perk of the Holy Spirit, just a little nudge of God's Spirit. Just one of the ways God looks after you for encouragement. I bet he was really encouraged after that happened. 
So for Gideon to take 300 men against 180,000, his life's at stake. How many of you think that's a big thing? Yeah, that's a big thing. And the greater the risk, the bigger the decision. So all the more you'd like to be certain you're on the right track. And that's why Gideon is indulged by God. So you might need to put out a little bit of a fleece and wait a while, and it's okay. God's not nervous or worried, and you can ask Him for some sign this is a a good thing, or uh, if there's something wrong with this engagement, let me know, show me, give me some information. He loves you, you're His child, He will. I'm telling you, He will. And then in the secret things of life, Scripture says the revealed things belong to us, but the secret things belong to God. You know, what city am I to live in? Find that in Scripture. It doesn't say. Where am I supposed to work? I have to discover those things because they're not revealed in Scripture. So Gideon says to God, if you're going to deliver Israel, great. Am I your boy? Show me for sure. And knowing that gives me encouragement to fight because I know God is with me. If you're going to go into your own business and you borrow $250,000 from the bank, you want to know God's with you in this deal. It's a risk. So how did God show Joseph that he was special and that he was with him? Well, first, out of 12 brothers, his daddy favored him. He gives Joseph this splendorous coat of many colors that set him apart. Then he gets sold into Egypt. Shortly after, he's promoted over all the slaves and all of Potiphar's house. That's pretty cool. He's still technically a captive, but he's been given promotion, free access to the checkbook of Potiphar and his entire house and all of the slaves in work. It's under his command, and Potiphar doesn't bother him. And then the wife hits on him accuses him of rape. He's thrown in jail falsely. It looks bad. What happens? The senior official makes him trustee over all the prisoners after a season watching this kid work. He doesn't have to be watched over. He doesn't have to be told what to do. And he's promoted. He gets free Wi-Fi, flat screen TV, access to the gym. He gets unlimited privilege, and he's over everybody down there. He's still in prison, but he's over everything. So little by little, we read, when we read Genesis, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. Read that. But the Lord, read how many times God said, now Joseph couldn't read that because it hadn't been written yet. But he had enough sense to be able to read the fact God keeps promoting me. Must be something up with my life. He told me I'm going to be a ruler, a leader, and it looks like every dump they put me in, I rise to the top and I become a ruler even when I'm a slave or a prisoner. That's a pretty good sign. Y'all listening? You're still warm and breathing. You still got a purpose. You're still alive. God's not through with you yet. All right? That's a good sign to wake up, Rumpelstiltskin. Smell the coffee. So, even in your prisons, when it looks like God may not be with you, He will get encouragement to you. God is sovereignly running the show, including our lives. Even if He brings us into a prison, He'll find some way to get enough encouragement to you to keep you going. And that dream will be confirmed. Even through all the hassle, Joseph could sense, I've still got God's favor. Maybe people have attacked you, tried to destroy you. You're still going. That's a good sign. God's not through with you. And I think of Philippians, that which He has begun in you, He will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 
So the enemy can't stop it. He can hinder, he can hurt, he can delay, but he can't stop it. Now that's clear scripture. I need to be encouraged to know that. And, and God's not ever going to ask you to do something that contradicts His Word. Thank you. I don't have to, if I, know it contra- if I know the Word and I know it contradicts, I've got my answer right now. I don't have to go through any more negotiations or how much profit's in it, if it's illegal, if it's immoral, if it's unscriptural, I'm not going there. That's it. Done. Boom. That's another way God leads. See? Real simple. Not hard. In Judges 7, so God get, uh, Gideon gets his fleeces. Now he's marching forward. The be- here comes the best part. He's marching forward with 32,000 men. Then the dream gets tested, 22,000 leave. Then another test, and all but 300 leave. How many of you know the mighty man of valor is having some doubts? I mean, it's, and so Judges 7, verse 9. So the next night, this is the night after they've all been tested and everybody's gone home but 300 men. When God does anything in your life that tests your dream and you're feeling discouraged, He comes the very next day and brings some kind of encouragement. So here we go, Judges 7, verse 9 through 14, and we get to listen to what the enemy is saying about Gideon. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp. I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what the enemy is saying. Afterward, you're going to be encouraged to attack the army. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley as thick as locusts. Their camels could not be counted more than the sand on a seashore. Holy mo! This is a big crowd, folks. This is poor Gideon. Gideon arrived, this is at night, just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force, the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend immediately responded, Why, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole army into his hand. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation by the enemy, he bowed down and worshiped. Thank you, Jesus. I can hear him. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite army into our hands. I mean, he's pumped. He's encouraged. So in chapter 6, Gideon's looking for signs. In chapter 7, God's taking the initiative to encourage. That's good news. And not only is God not angry at Gideon for asking for confirmation, Now God takes the initiative to help Gideon feel better after the big test. Because while God was giving Gideon a dream, God was giving Gideon's enemies a dream, but their dreams were nightmares about him. And when God gives you a dream, he gives your enemies a dream. And it's a dream that's a nightmare about you. And that's why they hate you. You need to know that. When God apprehends a company of people in our nation with the dream of turning the nation for good, He starts by bringing nightmares to the enemies of God so they fear God's people. The ungodly can feel the hot breath of God on their neck. They're terrified of a Christian community. That's why they hate you so much, because they fear you so much. 
And the enemy always knows who you are. You said, well, I like to sit in a big church to be unidentified. Let me tell you something, the devil knows your name. He knows who you are. The enemy knew Gideon's name and they'd never met him. The devil always knows the man or woman carrying a dream. In Acts 19, the demon spoke out of a man. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? So they know people carrying authority. They know people carrying a dream or a purpose. That's why they're out to destroy it. See, the devil doesn't bother to take notice of somebody without a destiny, a purpose, a dream. A Christian without a dream, a church with no dream is no problem for the devil. And you don't end up here in this place unless there's something inside of you. There are too many easy places to go. And dreamers are never in the majority, never. Most people just want comfort and safety. Gag me. That's like going to the fair and getting on the little kiddie ride. Uh, that's where a lot of Christians are, you know. They go into the wading pool. They don't want to go out in the deep water. God's challenge is always launch out into the deep. That's where the action is. When I was a lifeguard in high school at the officer's pool in uh, McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, we had an Olympic pool, and then we had the, the, the real shallow area, and it had all kinds of signs on it. No running, no jumping, no diving, no whatever. It was nothing but no. You couldn't, you couldn't get hurt, you couldn't drown, you couldn't do anything down there. And it was the most crowded and the biggest part of the pool. But down on the end where my tower was were three diving boards, big, tall, high diving boards. And it was 15 feet deep. And that's where all the screaming and shouting and bathing suits coming off and cannonballs, that's where all the fun was, in the deep end. And most Christians are happy to put on their little floaties and wait. I don't get it. I got to have a little more buzz than that. Just a little more kick than that. I want an adventure. So notice God's grace. It says the same night. Verse 9, God comes. Doesn't wait. He knows Gideon needs encouragement. He knows you do. Verse 10, if you're afraid, Gideon, and I'm thinking, what do you mean if? He's terrified. Verse 11, after you hear what the enemy's dreaming about you, your hands will be strengthened or you will be encouraged. If some of you could get into the enemy's war room right now and hear what they're saying about you, oh my, you'd be encouraged. It would stoke your fire to press on and endure. The enemy knows who you are. The enemy knows who we are, church. And the trouble is you got too big a devil and too small a God. Our enemy's having nightmares about his defeat right now. And notice verse 15, the confirmation caused Gideon to worship. How long has it been since God did something for you so tremendous that it brought you to worship and you don't even consider yourself really religious or very much into uh, praise and worship, but you just, oh, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Whether in a car or an office or in your home, something happened where God brought you to your knees where you were so like, oh, I am so grateful. I am so happy. So thank you, Lord. See, when God brings one of these encouragement, some kind of a sign, it can bring you to tears and always to great joy. You'll be so grateful for even a small sign. And even if it's just a small sign, it confirms God's presence with you.
Now remember, here's the warning. We don't live by signs in the New Testament, but it does confirm big things and secret things. It'll be enough to keep you on course until the next signpost is needed. God will confirm His Word to you with signs. Ask Him, because He knows each of our limits. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.